Hello, and welcome to the Alchemy of Art podcast with your host, Addie Hirschton. Join us as we share folk tales and true stories about artists and the creative process. Today is another one by Corita Kent. The root meaning of art is to fit together. And we all do this every day. Not all of us are painters, but we are all artists. Each time we fit things together, we are creating. Whether it's to make a loaf of bread, a child, or a day. Hello everyone, my name is Addie Hirschton. I'm a contemporary impressionist painter, art instructor, author, and public speaker. The purpose of this podcast is to share stories about art and the creative process to inspire you and help you move forward. On the show, I interview artists from a wide variety of mediums so that we can learn from each other's processes and philosophy. Today's podcast features an interview with the founder of Squam Art Retreats, Elizabeth de Vivier, and one of my favorite folk tales of all time, Jack and the Ghost. Mm. Announcements. So I have a bunch of classes coming up. I've got a four-day plein air workshop I'll be teaching, animal painting workshop. Oh, this is going to be fun. Victorian flower painting, the secret language of symbols. Mm. So if you want to receive the detailed registration information about any of these upcoming classes, uh, what you want to do is sign up for my newsletter by going to my website, azurefineart.com, and then I will be updating you as each of these things comes open for registration. Also, if you sign up for my newsletter, you're going to get the latest Alchemy of Art podcast sent straight to you so you won't miss them. Now, without further ado, here's my interview with Elizabeth de Vivier. Elizabeth de Vivier taught art with the New Hampshire Institute for Art before founding Squam Art Retreats at Squam Lake in Holderness, New Hampshire. The retreats offer a wide variety of classes in textiles, paper crafts, ooh, mythology, and mixed media. To find out more about Elizabeth and Squam, visit squamartworkshops.com. And I just got to spell this for everybody because it's a little bit of a weird word. So squam is spelled S-Q-U-A-M. So squamartworkshops.com. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you. It's so fun to be here. And I want to um, follow up on that. Squam is a funny word, and I'd yeah. love to tell you about it. It's okay. the Abenaki word. Um, which the Native Americans who live in New England, one of the tribes, and it's the word for water. So it's a really powerful word, and um, it is the name of the lake where we started our gatherings. But that helps sometimes with memory. We're like, what was that word again? And so squam is the word for water. Oh, I love it. I love the word even more now. It was already <laughs> fun to say. Yeah, me too. I'm a real, I'm a real word. I love words. I love words. I love their meanings. I love names, you know, all that stuff. Yes. Yes. What's the story of how you became an artist, Elizabeth? 
Well, I did have to offer you a sweet correction. I was a teacher of writing, English composition, creative writing at the New Hampshire Institute of Art. Oh. So my background is actually in writing. Okay. Um, and Well, but writing is an art form. It absolutely is. I appreciate that so much. And um, I am, I am, I'm, did you ever read the book, The Artist's Way? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I've been a shadow artist my whole life. So I was um, always drawn to art, but it really was a foreign, foreign country growing up. It, I can't put it into words better than it just, I thought all artists were men. I thought they were all dead. I thought I just, it was a completely foreign country. And yet I had all these like longings and I had all these responses to um, certain painters and certain artists. And um, always sort of attached, and I, I got this concept after reading The Artist's Way, I always sort of attached myself to groups of artists. Like, you know, I always wanted to be around artists, but okay. I still saw them as, you know, separate magical creatures, unlike myself. And it was um, when I went to Art Fest in 2006, which is um, at the time it was very heavily focused on mixed media. It was this magical gathering that Tisha Moore ran um, out on Port Townsend in off the coast of Seattle. Um, she ran it for about 12 years. Then she took a pause. And now she started up again. This end of this month, March 2016, she's running one again, which is oh. kind of exciting and thrilling. And I, I definitely want to go back. But um, in 2006, I went there. And that's when I had my, um, you know, come to Jesus moment of like, oh, my God, like, I just want to do this. This is what I want to do. This makes me profoundly happy. And it's interesting that you asked me that question today, March 1st, 2016, because mm -hmm. I'm about to um, start planning an art show and making some work toward that goal. So, um, so it's just it. I really feel like it's going to come into the second half of my life. I don't. I had an extraordinary early experience with art making. Uh, after Art Fest, I left my corporate job. I decided I wanted to see what it would be like if I went to art school, but I was really, really, really tentative and I certainly had no portfolio, so I couldn't apply. And at the time I lived up you know, on Squam Lake, so I was extremely remote. So I signed up that fall for two classes, one at the School of Museum of Fine Arts down in Boston, and one at the Courier Museum in Manchester, New Hampshire. I was trying to see if I could sustain a commute and do a BFA as a commuter. Um, and it turns out I couldn't. It, the commute was crazy. It was like two oh. and a half hours each way. Sure. And then the other thing was Squam started and Squam took over my life and really kind of shelved all my personal creative goals. And I completely got swept up into running Squam and creating Squam and hosting Squam and all that. But the story of why I want to bring this back into the center of my life and why I'm so honored that you would call and ask me these questions <laughs> and that it's kind of uncanny the way life goes and timing and all of that, because I am not kidding you. Like I am just this morning beginning to clear my schedule and commit and make priority to get this show up. And so what the one experience I had was I was a student at the School of Museum of Fine Arts. They have an annual sale. It's the largest one in New England. It's a very big deal. It's for alumni and students of the museum school. And this woman said to me, you know, I was in class and she said, so are you going to put, you know, work in? I'm like, oh, I'm just a part-time student. She's like, oh, well, anyone can. And that 
triggered a fire in me like I can't even believe you tell you uh-huh. it just all it was permission all I wanted to do was submit and it's a rolling show in the sense that they hang everything on Thursday it runs till Sunday and if something sells and they go back in the back and pull something else out and put it on so I knew my stuff would be off in the corner somewhere I didn't care I wasn't looking to get it shown I was just like so like I can I can submit you know it was just like that so I raced home and um it's a whole nother long story but I actually created six pieces two canvas four paper and I submitted them and I was so thrilled and and then uh, my friend who lives down in Boston on Sunday which is the last day she said you know I've walked all around I've gone into every room I haven't seen anything with your name on it I'm like Tara of course not like they're not gonna put it out but you know so then the week after the show, you go down and collect all the work that didn't sell. So um, I had a friend who um, was, an, she's an artist, she's a full-time artist, and she had put in two paintings and she said, oh, if you're going down, would you just see if anything of mine didn't sell? And I'm like, oh yeah, sure. So I go down, I ask first for her and they're like, oh, one of your paintings, one of her paintings sold and, and you know, here's the other one. I'm like, oh my God, that's great. How exciting for her. And then um, I said, yeah, and I'm here for Elizabeth McCrellish because at the time I was married and that was my married name. And he said, yeah, you've got nothing to pick up. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, Elizabeth McCrellish. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I'm Elizabeth McCrellish. <laughs> and the guy next to him stopped helping the other person. And they both, they were really sweet. They're probably, God, I don't know, 19. They were just these baby, beautiful art men. And <laughs> they just turned and they just looked at me. And the one guy held up this sheet that they were going to give me. And they're like, these are all the people who bought your work. Every single Aww. piece sold. And <laughs> I have to tell you, best day of my life. Yeah. Best day of my life. I don't remember walking. I don't, I would like floated out of there. It took me 24 hours to even register what had just happened. And um, that was the last time I had a show. <laughs> so like, I really, not that the stakes are too high, but I really know the intention I went in with it was yeah. I went in just like, I just have stuff I want to put out there and that's where I am again. So um, I'm very excited. So oh, wonderful. I'm excited for you and congratulations. Yeah. It's, it always feels so good to share your work and know, oh, somebody else loved it. This little piece of my soul is out there and, and it's fledged the nest. <laughs> yeah. And it's the both ways, right? When you see a piece of work, you can't live mm-hmm. without. And then when someone connects to something you created, it is a beautiful, beautiful way of connecting spirit to spirit. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I'm going to skip around a little bit. What's your favorite medium to work with because I'm hearing from you you did these canvases painting maybe and and then paperwork and then I know you love photography from the little uh you're so kind um I mix media I'm all mixed media all the time yeah I like paint and paper and um pretty much two-dimensional I'm not really a three-dimensional artist in any way um so I love working on a substrate it could be paper like a heavy you know heavy watercolor paper or a canvas ideally and I love working with I don't work with oil paints I work with acrylics and um, anything that I find I love the origins of mixed media that I can you know all the crappy flyers that get dumped in my mailbox you know I can <laughs> purpose everything I one time did this giant giant diptych um, I think it was like I think it was like two canvases, each six feet by four feet. I mean, it was really big. And I did this entire tree, this birch tree out of um, 
I hope this doesn't turn off anyone in your eyes, but you know the you know the Scott tissue paper paper uh, toilet paper they come in these like crinkly little squares, long rectangles. Anyway, <laughs> so I took all of those wraps around the toilet paper, which is this gorgeous texture, and I you know feed oh. them, and they just had this incredible. The paper quality was so cool, and I used that for all the. I mean, obviously it was painted. Um, all the leaves. And so I love working with things that are discarded that seem to have no value. That's a big part of what draws me. I'm not so much who goes into an art store and buys gorgeous hand painted, hand created papers. I like to use um, scraps and mix match things and then um, bring them together for um, my own meaning. So that would be, that would be my medium photography. You're very, very kind. Photography is um, more of like a, um, it's a way of me journaling my day with my dogs and, and sharing my absolute love of where I live and what I'm seeing. And Instagram is super fun that way. We just all share our, our daily joys, it feels to me. Yes. Yes. What's the story of how you became a teacher? Mm. Well, that's funny. I think that's one of those things you're just born into. Um, that one I fell into. I was 19 when I first began teaching. I was living in Paris and I got a job as an assistant in a lycée, Lycée Lavoisier. Um, and it just was the most natural thing. I think I'm naturally a little bit bossy when it comes to, um, you know, as a kid, I was always a leader. And um, so I don't think of myself as particularly bossy anymore. But that sense of like, confidence of, okay, everybody sit down. Like I did, you know, even as a 19 year old with some very, very, you know, these teenagers were 17 years old, like, there was no difference in our ages. And they were French, you know, so they have all this attitude. And um, it's a very different culture. They all go off at lunch and have cigarettes and eat at the cafes. I mean, it was really crazy. But I, would, I had no problem establishing that I was the teacher in that classroom. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. um, and I think when I came out of college, all I wanted to do was write. That's all I wanted to mm. do. And yet it wasn't available to me. I was very much under the um, belief system that had been kind of pounded into me that, you know, you can't make a living as a writer. Writers aren't successful. You know, that's just not a legitimate path. And so I was really, really broken. I was really, really just um, didn't know where to go because it was the only thing I wanted to do, like the only thing I wanted to do. And yet I wasn't allow like I wasn't allowing myself to do it so um with a French last name and having you know a degree in French was one of my I did two degrees um it was just really easy I got a job teaching in a boarding school like boom boom okay boom you know so so then I was teaching in boarding school which I thought oh well then I'll have the summers to write so this could be a really good thing but it doesn't work that way it didn't for me um the year was just so draining to me I didn't know it at the time but I'm a profound introvert, like off the charts introvert, okay. which means I need an, an enormous amount of alone time to be normal. Um, and at boarding school, you have people with you and on you and around you 24 seven. You don't get any space of alone time. Mm -hmm. So the summers would come and I would just collapse and I had nothing to draw from. I didn't have good energy, <clears throat> excuse me, to write. So in terms of the teaching, I sort of fell into it, I guess, is my point. It was easy. It came easily to me and I had success with it. 
And um, so I was teaching. I've just always been teaching. I taught at boarding schools. I taught, you know, high school levels. Obviously, I taught at the college, as we talked about. I've taught. I helped a really lovely private um, little kindergarten through eighth grade school run by these three women who are really trying to create something beautiful in New Hampshire. And I helped them create a language program. So I was teaching French to little, little, little children. It was so um <sighs> Awesome. And then in, in, within Squam, um, I stopped teaching when I started Squam. And then last spring, I began again. I began teaching at Squam again. And so that's oh. been really thrilling. And that's the, those are the myth classes, the writing and the myth and the um, oh. self-exploration classes. So. Okay. Those are you. Okay. What do you say most often to your students when you're teaching? That's a great question. Can I sit yeah. with that for a second? Yes, and you I, may. So what do I I think the number one piece that I want anyone that I spend time with is to connect with their essence, to connect with themselves and know that they are enough and have confidence in themselves and appreciate their mark making, appreciate their perspective, understand that no one else can bring to the world what they can bring to the world. And so that they have more confidence and more appreciation for who they are in the world. I would say that's the number one thing I've taught over the years, even when I was teaching straight up French class to teenagers, because frankly, teenagers don't care about French. And that lesson is really the piece that they did get from me. Okay. Okay. What's a typical day like at the Squam retreat? I'm so curious. Yeah. So there are different days. So there are days okay. when you have classes. So if okay. you have classes, you wake up and also everyone has permission to do whatever the heck they want. So even if they signed up for a class, if they wake up and then they just want to go swimming and sit on the dock and climb a tree or the mountain, they can't like, there's no rules. Okay. Um, <clears throat> everything's an invitation. Like this is available to you and this is available to you, but mostly everyone um, wakes up in the morning and it's these gorgeous vintage cottages and you walk through these woods or along their lake to the dining hall, which is this amazing, gorgeous, built out of, oh, it's just beautiful. If you like that kind of thing, it's beautiful. And there's this gorgeous food all waiting for you. So one of the things people really love, um, it's mostly women who come, is everything's taken care of for you. You show up, all the food you need, someone else is doing the dishes. You don't have to deal with anything. Right? So you can really immerse yourself in your creativity from morning till night. So then after breakfast, you roll over to your class and you have three hours of class. And then after class, we'll have a pause and then you go to lunch. Um, again, you're outdoors. You know, it's very um, in an incredible natural setting. Most people are not online. They're not on their phones just because a, internet can be really sketchy, and B, you're just dropping off into a different world entirely. You're letting all of the world you come from fall away. And then you come back after lunch into the second half of your class, which runs for another three hours. And then there's dinner, and then there's usually something going on in the evening. There's some kind of event, maybe at the playhouse, or there's some people sit on their porch, or they knit, or they go back to studios, and they and they keep working because they're so alive and awake, and they're like, I just want to keep working on this thing I started today, right? So there's all varieties of what people do in the evenings. And then you'll have another day like that. And then there's always days in the weekend that are really open, where you wake up and 
obviously the meals are all there, but you, there's a space and spaciousness to like, oh, maybe I do want to go for a swim. Maybe I do want to sleep in later. Maybe I do want to go for a hike. And we also have all that those days we have optional workshops. So there's always, and this is true. There's always yoga every day available to you, but there's yoga and then there's um, other creative workshops that you can just drop into. So there's no sense of big commitment. Like, oh, I signed up for it. I have to go. It's like, oh, you know what? Is that embroidery class going on at 10 a.m.? I think I want to step into that. Or, oh, is so-and-so going to talk and share their story? I think I want to go sit and listen to that. So it's kind of very loose and soft that way. And then Saturday night, it ends with um, the Squam Art Fair, which is a whole nother big event of its own. It's a really, they call it the vintage Vintage, oh, there's a, something about it, but it's Vintage Marketplace meets Modern Makers or something. It's really, okay. really, really extraordinary, and people travel from all over to come to it, and it's um, a gorgeous art and craft fair. And then Sunday, people sort of roll out and start their head home. Yeah. Okay, so I I'm, I'm feel like there's this trend lately. There's so many retreats popping up, and everybody's mm-hmm. just so excited about going on art retreats lately, mm-hmm. like yours. And and I wonder if it's because we just really need to get away. You know, we, we've got the mm-hmm. phone all the time dinging mm-hmm. at us. Mm-hmm. We've got so many responsibilities, and there's so much, I have to do this. I said I was going to do this. Mm-hmm. And so that sounds very appealing to go to your retreat and, oh, no, I don't have any obligations. I can decide what I want to do today. And yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah. And for the creators, and there's all kinds of retreats. Obviously, there's yoga retreats and there's business yes. retreats and all kinds mm-hmm. of things um, in the kind of retreat you and I are talking about with like a creative retreat. The other piece of it is you really get to step out of your daily life. So whatever your identity is as, you know, full-time mom or you're a policewoman or you're, you know, crazy working as an OBGYN with crazy hours. I mean, every walk of life comes to Squam. Yes. Yeah. You get to come and drop all of that away. You know, uh, we're just, we just wear the most comfortable clothes imaginable. You don't even have to change your clothes if you don't want to. It's really an artist's relax. And if you have never given yourself permission to be creative, you get a chance to sink into that. And you just really meet people spirit to spirit because nobody's really interested in that whole other world. You're really in this place of like, again, I keep going to that dropping off, like Mm. all it's like an escape from the pressures and the demands and um, the deliverables and the soccer runs and the, you know, whatever it is you're doing in your regular life, you really get a chance. And there, I would say about 30%, maybe higher, 35, 40% um, of the people who come are full-time, like they make their living as artists or graphic designers. That's their profession. And Uh. they come and they come because they get to step away from the work they've created around their Art in the sense that all the deliverables and the clients and the deadlines and the pressures and the stresses of like, I wanted to do it this way, but they needed me to do it that way. They get to come and remember, oh, my God, I love to play. The process, process, process of creative play is really at the heart of Squam. And you just remember who you are and you you have time to breathe. Like you said, you have time to breathe and be like, what am I doing in my life? And am I happy with my life? And do I want to tweak some directional things so that when I get home, I have more of this happy, easy feeling going on. So, yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think you really tapped into 
life can be just so full on, as my sister calls it, you know, the grind. You just wake up and you're like, whoa, I got to go right back into it. There's no breathing. And I do think mm. the um, presence of so many places to retreat to now is in response to that, like, let's all just take a break. But you yes. don't have to arrange it. Someone else is taking care of it for you because again if I go to say women with small kids they'll say you know having a vacation with small kids isn't always a vacation no for them. not at all <laughs> this is this is a genuine the mom gets to focus entirely on her and that's a rare thing I think yes we need it that's mm -hmm. for sure we do need it it's incredibly important mm. what advice would you give to your younger artist self Oh, wow. That's a great question. I've never thought about that. Well, first of all, she didn't think of herself as an artist. So I think I'd have to help her get in alignment with that. Okay. I think she was just missing so much self-esteem and confidence. It's not that she didn't have a, a draw to that path. It's that each time someone said no, she just accepted the no. You know, I didn't have the oh. fighter. I didn't have that fighter personality of like, well, I know you're saying no, but I'm going to do it anyway. Like, I didn't have that. I was just like, oh, okay, I guess I can't. And I would definitely want her to work on her third chakra. <laughs> like, get that third chakra fired up girlfriend. Like, self-confidence, self-esteem. Um, you know your own self best and not give your power away to everyone else who tells you how things are going to be. I think she was very much um, <clears throat> lacking in self-power. That would be my number one Ugh. thing. Because if you have it, then you can create anything. Art, writing, yes. jobs, you know. True. It's so important to have belief in yourself. Oh, there's a great, oh, there's a great quote. It's not written. I heard it in an interview one time and I okay. loved it. Do you know the musician Ray LaMontagne? Oh, that name sounds familiar, but I'm right, not, I'll send you, yeah. I'll send you a couple of his songs. They're really, okay. really great songs and I love okay. them. And his story is really interesting. Uh, I mean, he's won Grammys. I mean, he's a big, he's a big okay. deal. And, um, gorgeous folk singer, gorgeous particular style. But what's interesting about his story is he was in his twenties before he picked up a guitar and he just was living up in Lewiston, Maine and working in a shoe factory and just like really eking out a living, right? Like not, nothing glamorous, not, no golden path for him to the Grammys. And, um, in the interview, the person's now he's successful and now he's doing great with his music. And the person asks him, so, how did you, you know, how do you, who, you know, how did you believe in yourself or who believed in you to see that this guy working in a shoe factory could be this, you know, terrifically successful musician when he'd never picked up a guitar? <laughs> and he said, you have to believe in yourself before anyone else will. And that mm. really stayed with me. Because I, my whole life was going to someone else, like, can you please stamp writer on my forehead? Could you please give me permission to make art? Could you please tell me I'm allowed to do this? Can you please tell me that this is my path? I was putting all my power to people outside of myself. Yes. And it's absolutely true. The people who succeed in this world, they believe in themselves. And if you're really, really lucky, you grow up and maybe you have a mom or an aunt or a teacher who says, Abby, you are this. And you're like, yes, I am. You know, and you get that. But lots of us don't. Lots of yeah. us don't. And the fact is, we have the power to decide. This is, I mean, look at, look at um, J.K. Rowling. 
Her book got rejected by every single publisher in the UK. Every single publisher, she got a rejection from them and she kept, she believed in it. She just, she did, you know, me, I'd get one rejection. I'm like, okay, yeah, it's a sucky book. You know, <laughs> she just was like, no, no, I believe in this story. I believe in this story. I believe in yeah. this story. She just did mm -hmm. not ever not believe in herself and in her story. And that's power. That's big power. Yes. Yes, it is. What's your favorite art book or story? It could be a personal story or anything. Mm. You, I have to tell you, you have fabulous questions. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. <laughs> I do have a most treasured, treasured book. And the copy oh. that I have was published in the 1920s. So it has amazing oh. illustrations. It's gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. I can send you, if you want, I can take a photo of the cover and send it to you. Okay. It, it's a French book. It's in translation. When I when I had it as a kid, it was my mom's book. It was in translation, and it was called. It is called The Adventures of Perrine. In French, it's by Hector Malot, and in French, it's called Sans Famille. And it's the story of this girl um, who's 12 years old, maybe 13, and she basically makes her way by herself. Her father's died at the very beginning of the book. I'm not giving anything away. The very first pages of the book, her mother dies, and she and her donkey make it away along France, um, which is a really treacherous adventure to get back to the village where her grandfather lives and try to find her family of origin. And it's just this beautiful, I, I didn't realize how big an influence it was on me as a kid, but you know how few stories there are about American female heroines. And so um, I read it over and over and over and over and over and over again. And I realized how often I read it because Years later, I tried to get a copy, and there was a different translation, and they titled oh. it Nobody's Girl. And so I was like, okay, that's the same story. I'll get it. You know, I bought it. And then I was reading it, and I realized every place the translation was different. Like, I had oh. memorized that other book. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I knew it I knew it inside out and back. Oh. And um, so that that story is probably the cornerstone of my, my personal mythology. Yeah. Oh. Great question. Wow. Wow. I'm really intrigued by this book. <laughs> oh, I'll, 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 I'll send you links and yeah. it's out of print, but I can send you um, photographs of it. Oh, definitely. Definitely. It sounds like a treasure. It is a treasure. I actually collect them. I have probably three copies because when I find one, I just collect it. It's just, it is a treasure for me. Yeah. It's like if the house was burning, that's what I'd grab. Oh, oh nice. Nice. Yeah, if the house was burning, what I would grab is the cross stitch that my mother made the year before I was born. It says, um, to love and be loved is the greatest joy on earth. Oh, my gosh. Will you take a photo and put it with the oh, do you, <laughs> sure. do you up the podcast or the podcast just lives somewhere on iTunes? Do you I do like a page. It lives on iTunes. And then I also post everything on my blog. On your blog. Okay. Uh -huh. Yes. Yeah, so share, share the cross stitch. That's okay. so much. Do you have it framed? I do. And I how do. did you frame it? Uh, it has a simple wooden frame. And about 10 years back, we had to reframe it because it had some moisture damage. But um, but yeah, it's we cleaned it all up and it's looking good. Yeah, that's what I'd grab if there was a fire. I love that. Do you like to cross-stitch yourself? I've done a little bit, a little bit, but not much. Uh -huh. What's your medium that you love most? Oh, I love painting. 
I oil painting paint. or watercolor yeah. gouache? I do a lot of oil painting and I do a lot of acrylic painting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, acrylic is better for multiple layers. It has a more modern look and I'll have it, the more symbolic work I'll use for acrylic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then I also, um, I'm a professional storyteller and I used to be a children's librarian. So I do these performances throughout my state, um, especially in the summer, I will go around to the summer reading programs and do these big shows where I'm sharing mythology. This summer, you might be interested since you love mythology, I'm focusing on ancient Greece and uh, and stories of the Olympics. And, oh, uh, that's mm-hmm. fantastic. Lucky kids, lucky <laughs> audience members. I love yeah. that. Yeah, I can yeah. see how you're a storyteller. You're a really, really good good questions and that's the sign of a great storyteller for sure oh we're inquisitive right (laughs) Mm -hmm. you're curious and curiosity love and curiosity that's what drives the world oh yeah yeah and it did not kill the cat (laughs) oh no and do you know that was told to me over and over again as a kid isn't that horrible it is like and it would be sung to me Oh. Yeah, anyway, oh, I wouldn't even want to think about it, but yeah, yeah, was, <laughs> that's great. Like curiosity was a bad thing. I'm sure yeah. they meant well, but um... <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they meant well. <laughs> oh goodness. Well, last question, Elizabeth. So um, when I go to the Squam website, it's just a lot of the retreats are sold out, and that's great for you. Um, what upcoming workshops and the online classes you've started up are available for people who might be interested? Sure. Um, again, I don't know when this podcast will run, but right oh. now there are spaces in the spring and in the fall. Um, some classes are, have filled, but there it definitely are still some spaces in some of the classes. So that would be worth looking at if you want to go to the lake retreat. The only retreat that is completely sold out right now is the one that's in May because that's coming up so soon. And that's the Squam by the Sea, which we do down at the Outer Banks in North Carolina. Oh. Um, and then there's still a few spots, I think. At the one we do in Virginia, which is Into the Mystic, which you, that's like, it's the only one that I do a really long week. Um, It's full seven days and we did it for the very first time last August and it was extraordinary. So I'm kind of excited about that one. Talk about giving yourself time to sink in. Um, And then online, we have The Magic of Myth. Um, that registration is currently open. The, that begins right at the spring equinox, which I think is somewhere around March 18th. You'd have to look at the website. But once it begins, then it, you can't register anymore. So that would just be the next couple weeks you could register for Magic of Myth, which is online. And then we have, uh, let's see, if, is there... I'm doing a book club, but it's we're halfway through it, so you probably wouldn't want to jump in at this point. But that's free. That's the God oh. Club is online. Um, fun. Yeah, it is. It's fun. It's been great. Um, and there's nothing to stop you if you don't care about jumping in halfway. It's it's free. You can jump in. And then we do have a couple of really fabulous online workshops that are right now getting um, created, and they will be available next October. Um, I can't really share more than that, except oh. one is with, I, but they're great. <laughs> they're really, really fun. And they're very, very art, art focused with some amazing teachers. So um, people you don't usually get access to. So, and it's fun because it's online. So you can do it like right at home. So those will be in October. And I think that's 
it. Yeah, we mostly launch for the whole year in December and we sort of lay everything out. And then there is a workshop that just closed, which was Gift of the Heart, but that just ended yesterday. So um, that's over. But yeah, no, there's there's definitely room if anyone was interested, um, except for the Squam by the Sea. There's still some room in each of the okay. in-person workshops. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much. Your story is so inspiring and you're very uplifting fun-loving sort of a person. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I love this. You've really given me stuff to think about. I, your questions really kind of unearthed some things that I'm going to go reflect on. So okay. thank you so much. I and know. please stay in touch. And mm -hmm. um, I'm just, I really enjoyed speaking with you today. This was fun. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Bye. Okay. And now for the folk tale of Jack and the Ghost. Once upon a time, there was a boy named Jack. He lived on a farm with his mother. A drought had swept over the land. It hadn't rained for months. None of the crops that Jack and his mother had planted in the ground grew. Jack looked at their food supply. It wouldn't last them through the winter. Mother, he said, I, I know you think I'm young, but now is the time for me to go out and seek my fortune. If we don't do something now, we'll starve to death. Jack's mother hung her head. Oh, you're right, my son. I, I'll let you go. But first, let me make you a sack of food to take with you. Soon Jack was walking down the road with a sack of bread and soup on his back. Jack walked up the hills and down the dales. The sun rose in the sky, then sank down again. As the sky got dark, Jack came to a town. He knocked on a door of an inn. The innkeeper answered the door. Please, Jack asked. I, I, I am seeking my fortune. Do you have a job you can give me? I, I, I'll clean the dishes, mop floors. I'll do anything. Well, now, said the innkeeper, you'll never make a fortune washing dishes. But uh, are you a brave boy? Oh, yes, sir. I'm very brave, said Jack quickly. Well, do you see that house on the top of the hill behind you, asked the innkeeper. Jack looked behind him. An iron fence surrounded a yard filled with ripe apple trees. A path led up to an old mansion. It had turrets and carved wooden trim. Many of the windows were broken. The house looked dark and forlorn, as if no one had lived there in years. Well, I guess I see that house, said Jack. The innkeeper leaned closer to Jack and whispered, It is said the house is haunted. No one has been brave enough to stay there overnight. If you can stay there for one night, the house is yours. Jack gasped. Oh, the whole house? Really? He looked back at the mansion. The fruit on the apple trees alone was worth a lot in the market. He and his mother would be set for the winter. I'll try it, said Jack. Well, good luck to you, my boy, said the innkeeper. You'll need it. 
Jack started off for the house. Leaves crunched under his step. The heavy gate creaked as he opened it. An owl hooted up in the tree. Oh, now you don't scare me, said Jack, and he mounted the steps to the front porch. Knocking on the door, he called out, Hello, is anybody home? He was met with silence. The door opened easily for him as he gently turned the knob. To his left was an art studio. Cobwebs covered an old easel. To his right was a formal dining room. The crystal chandelier swayed slightly as wind whipped through the house. As Jack shut the door behind him, his stomach rumbled. He had eaten all the bread on his long journey, but he still had a jar of soup. Deciding that he would find the kitchen to heat up his food, Jack followed his nose past the dining room into a large, old-fashioned kitchen. It had a stone fireplace with a cauldron hanging from a hook. There was wood for a fire. Jack arranged the logs and lit the fire. Soon it was blazing. He poured the soup into the cauldron and sat back to watch it bubble. That was when he heard the first sound. Oh, something bumped up inside the chimney. Look out below, I'm falling, cried a voice. Down from the shaft of the chimney fell a pair of legs with no body. They bounced out of the fire and then ran around the room. Around and around, they ran in circles. Jack's eyes popped out of his face and he held his breath. <gasps> Stop it, screamed Jack at the top of his lungs. To his surprise, the legs stopped and turned to face him. Um, you go sit down in that chair, commanded Jack. The legs walked calmly to the chair, sat down, and started rocking back and forth. Oh, well, that was weird, thought Jack. His stomach rumbled again. He turned to stir his soup. As he leaned over the fire, he heard the second sound. Something bumped him inside the chimney. Look out below, I'm falling, cried a voice. Down from the shaft of the chimney fell a torso and arms. They bounced out of the fire and flew around the room. Around and around, they flew in circles. Jack's eyes popped out of his face and he held his breath. <gasps> Stop it, screamed Jack at the top of his lungs. The torso stopped and turned to face him. Uh, you go attach yourself to your legs, commanded Jack. The torso floated to the legs and <laughs> attached themselves and the body started rocking back and forth. Oh, this just gets weirder and weirder, thought Jack. But at least nothing bad has happened yet. His stomach grumbled again. He turned to stir his soup. As he leaned over the fire, he heard the third 
sound. Something bumped up inside the chimney. Look out below, I'm falling, cried a voice, and down from the shaft of the chimney fell a head. It fell in the pot of soup. Then it bounced out and bopped around the room. It hit the ceiling and the wall and then the floor. It bounced like a wild basketball, round and around and around. It bounced. Jack's eyes popped out of his face, and he held his breath. Stop it! Screamed Jack at the top of his lungs. The head stopped and turned to face him. Oh, you, you go attach yourself to your body, commanded Jack. The head floated to the body and attached itself and the entire apparition stood. Jack put his fingernails. Jack, said the ghost, I must thank you. No one has ever stayed long enough for me to put myself back together. For this I have a reward for you. Follow me. The ghost crossed the room. He opened a small door leading downstairs to the cellar. The ghost pointed to a spot on the dirt floor. This is where I buried my treasure. When I was young, I traveled around the world to paint. I gathered a trove of valuable sculptures, carvings, and jewelry in exchange for my work. I was murdered years ago by someone who wanted to steal my treasure, but he never found it. The treasure is yours now, Jack, and I will rest in peace and not in pieces. With a gust of wind, whoosh, the apparition dissipated into thin air. Jack, boy, he ran to find a shovel. He dug and he dug at the spot until he hit a solid box. Opening it, Jack found a dazzling assortment of treasures. He and his mother would be set for life. The next day, Jack fetched his mother. They fixed up the mansion on the hill and lived there happily for the rest of their days. The end. So, my thoughts on this story... Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Maybe it's how they make over the mansion at the end. Maybe it's the treasure and the reward of the treasure. I think ultimately that that people, especially artists, let their fear get in the way of achieving their goals. We've got to persevere. We've got to just work past each of those fears as Jack did with each encounter he had with the ghost if we're going to get the rich reward at the end. Source, this is a folktale British origin. It's popular in the Appalachian region of the United States. This is the same Jack of Jack and the Beanstalk. There's tons and tons of Jack tales out there. If you love this one, you probably love those too. So this story, Jack and the Ghost, and many others are available in my book, The Alchemy of Art, Stories for the Classroom. This concludes our Alchemy of Art podcast for today. May these stories about art and the creative process inspire you. May you find your voice.
You have been listening to the Alchemy of Art podcast. To find out more about Annie Hurston and her work, go to azirfineart.com. That's A-Z-H-I-R-F-I-N-E-A-R-T dot com.